welcome to Hitting Play, the podcast where we review, analyze, and discuss shows, movies, and other curiosities. I am Scott, and joining me on the Hitting Play hotline is a special guest, a rebel from the age of 15, reckless, aggressive, and undisciplined, also known for his forgery of Imperial documents, our resident Star Wars expert, Paul. Paul, welcome back. Hey, Scott. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for coming back. Well, this week, in anticipation of Rogue One, a Star Wars story, we are breaking down the recently released Celebration Reel, really our second glimpse at the next cinematic installment in the Star Wars franchise, as well as the panel that uh, took place in Europe, the Star Wars Celebration, and a little something extra they gave fans there too. So instead of just giving us, the general public, a second trailer for Rogue One, uh, Lucasfilm has released this video. It features a mix of actual movie footage, some behind-the-scenes looks, and some testimonials, too. Now, uh, in April, Paul, Hamish, and myself broke down the Rogue One teaser trailer. That's in our archives, if you want to check that out. And back then, our knowledge of the film was scant. We, we pretty much knew the cast. We, of course, knew the basic premise, because it's that opening paragraph of The Crawl in A New Hope. But we didn't really know too much about the characters. And uh, in the months since we recorded that episode, a lot of news has come out about Rogue One. Uh, some things have been revealed about the characters, and unfortunately, some negative news about the production has been reported as well. Whether it's true or not, I don't know. But uh, have you been hearing things about that, Paul? Yeah, like most of our listeners that are into Star Wars, I came across the news. It was all over Yahoo that... There were going to be major reshoots. I think 60% of the movie, they said, had to be reshot within a six-week span. Mm. Yeah, it was a little concerning at first. I think one of the things that they wanted to accomplish was to tone down the darkness of the movie, make it a little bit more lighthearted, a little bit family-friendly, kind of match the rest of the movies, mm. which I have mixed feelings about. You know, I kind of was looking forward to a darker Star Wars movie, a little grittier, and I still think that's what we're going to end up with, maybe just not to the extent that we were hoping for, because this was being passed off as like a uh, Saving Private Ryan meets the Star Wars universe kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I don't know, I was, I was coming across some information about violent scenes featuring a well-known villain from the original trilogy, and detailing some of the stuff that he was involved in in the original shoot that they would probably remove to make it a little more family-friendly. But then about a week or so after that news hit, more details came out, and they basically said that a lot of this movie was shot without the script being completed, and things were being rewritten and adjusted, and it wasn't until they were done shooting, really, that they had the scripts finalized. So hmm. once they edited all the uh, footage together and put it in front of Disney's executives, it was by no means complete. The tone of different scenes didn't quite line up and stuff like that. So they knew that, like they knew going into this that there were going to be major reshoots done. Mm -hmm. So after reading that article, I wasn't as quite, you know, as worried about it as I first was. And my hope is that they are just trying to make a good movie a great movie and, and not make a bad movie a good movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and that's kind of the par for the chorus when it comes to these big-budget studio films. You know, the gist of a lot of those stories was that the studio was tapping these talented directors to work on really an iconic franchise, which sounds perfect when you think about it, but when you do this, you're going to tend to get films that follow that director's specific vision, and that can be a problem when your studio is trying to match the tone and the feel of the other films in the franchise that preceded it, namely George Lucas and, and to some extent, J.J. Abrams. So, you know, you, you could see where Gareth Edwards, the director, had to maybe make some concessions and, and really reach a compromise. And it'd be interesting to, to find out exactly what he wanted in that original cut. But, I, you know, I, I'm happy if they're happy with their compromise, I guess. But, yeah, it seems as though they, they want some more levity in this movie, which, uh, you know, it's just, they, they got to strike that fine balance, and hopefully they did, but uh, we'll see what the final results are in December, but one thing is for sure, visually, 
this movie will be stunning. Yeah, there's a lot of things that I saw in this trailer that I really look forward to seeing on the big screen. Yeah, so let's get right into this video. Uh, this is called the Celebration Reel, as I mentioned, because it premiered at the Star Wars Celebration Europe 3 that took place in London from July 15th to July 17th, 2016. Uh, for us, this premiered halfway through ABC's documentary called Secrets of the Force Awakens that aired on July 15th, 2016. Now, Paul, did you, you didn't get a chance to watch that, did you? No, I'm a Dish customer, and they're in a dispute right now with ABC. Oh, boy. So, uh, I actually had my Dish service on pause for the summer, because usually when I'm watching TV, I'm just watching sports, Red Sox games through my MLB package. Mm -hmm. So, I took it off pause, partly because of the Red Sox-Yankees series last weekend, and partly to watch this trailer. And then I found that I no longer have ABC. <laughs> but thankfully, uh, earlier in that day, you had sent me a link to a YouTube video that you got from our friend Hamish in Australia. And that was the same thing that they were showing that night. So we actually got to see it a little bit sooner than most people. Yeah, and that YouTube video is from the Star Wars official YouTube channel. So this isn't like leaked footage. This was released by them, but it was released before this special aired on ABC. And I was getting ready to watch that special. And, you know, I'm like, well, I saw that thing that Hamish sent me, but obviously this is going to be different. And no, it was exactly the same thing. So, oh well, I just watched it twice. And, you know, the Force Awakens special was okay. You get a little more behind-the-scenes looks at things, and uh, especially uh, Harrison Ford's last day on set and things like that. So, you know. But anyway, let's get into this video. And now... This reel starts with some war scenes. Uh, this is on the tropical planet, which we now know is called Scarif. Really beautiful place. It, it's a, it was actually filmed on location in the Maldives. It's actually a, a country that's an archipelago in the middle of the Indian Ocean. And the, just uh, amazing uh, scenery here. Blue waters and palm trees. Uh, very different from anything we've seen. Yeah, like we discussed after the uh, first trailer, I believe. Yeah, this is the first time we've really seen this kind of environment in Star Wars. It's always been all desert or forest or ice planet. There's the Swamp of Dagobah, but this is the first tropical location we've seen in a movie, pretty much. Yeah, it's a vacation planet. There's not much vacationing going on there, it seems. <laughs> That's true. And supposedly this is the planet from which the Death Star uh, was constructed. So it's of special use, for some reason, to the Empire. Now we also get a look at Riz Ahmed, and we now know that Riz Ahmed is playing a character named Bodhi Rook, and that Bodhi Rook is a former Imperial pilot that had defected to the Rebellion. Now there was some confusion initially, because I guess publicity stills were shown for the movie, and Rook was seen in the Imperial outfit, even though they knew that he was going to be with the Rebels. So uh, addressing this at the Celebration panel, Riz Ahmed said, quote, Bodhi is a pilot, and he works for the Empire to earn a living. And then, reportedly, he turned and looked directly at Kathleen Kennedy and continued, People work at big organizations. They don't agree with everything they do. <laughs> so he got a laugh from the crowd. But, you know, it was all in good fun. But he further says that he's kind of questioning things. The, the city he is from is actually on an occupied planet, and it's the action of the Empire and the stuff he's forced to be involved with on there that kind of makes him question his career counselor. So we, we might be seeing a turn here similar to the, the one we saw Finn make in The Force Awakens. Yeah, and that isn't unprecedented. Uh, a lot of the Rebel Alliance soldiers, and especially the pilots, you know, they went to the Academy, the Imperial Academy, and they learned their skills and then they defected to the Rebel Alliance. Like Biggs Darklighter, you know, mm -hmm. friend from Tatooine, he went to the uh, Academy, and then he became a, a Rebel afterward. Han Solo was an Imperial, and we may get to see that in his standalone film, but he was affiliated with the Empire before becoming a smuggler and scoundrel. <laughs> now, I also noticed here, we get a scene of a field with evaporator, which... Are those tower-like antenna-shaped machines that we see present in pretty much every other Star Wars trilogy, and they're used to collect moisture in arid climates. 
And I thought it was funny because we usually see them sticking out of sand, but here it's in a grassy area. Yeah, I noticed that too. I'm not sure what locations those are, what planet. It's one of the two main ones that we'll talk about in this podcast or not, but a vast shot. You know, you see a lot of land and you see like a lone figure standing guard or looking over the scenery. Mm. And you see the evaporators. Now, we also get a scene here of Diego Luna being held up by stormtroopers. Now, there was a little confusion early on, uh, you know, when we were talking about him in our previous episode. We weren't really sure who he was playing. And there were rumors that, you know, could this be Poe Dameron's father? Well, we were all kind of hoping that that wasn't the case. Because, we're, you know, we we're kind of sick of that kind of stuff from the, <laughs> the prequel trilogy. And fortunately, he is not. He is a character named Cassian Andor a rebel captain who has also been described as an accomplished rebel intelligence officer with combat field intelligence. Okay. <laughs> and at the uh, celebration panel, Diego Luna called Cassian Andor a peacekeeper among a group that sees tensions rise quickly and often. And uh, speaking about that team, he said there's friction, there's issues, and it's Cassian who has to keep them all together. Yeah, he strikes me as kind of like the team leader of this motley crew that we see trying to accomplish this task, stealing the uh, plans. Like, they turn to Jyn so to kind of lead, sort of, you know, because of her skill set and whatever, but he seems like the one that is keeping things all together and, and keeping things on the right track and stuff. Yeah, and, you know, this Rebel team, they kind of emphasize that they're not really friends. They're just kind of together out of necessity. They have to get these Death Star plans. You know, it's their only hope, uh, to borrow a phrase. And so they're not friends. They come from various backgrounds, and there's going to be tension. So, you know, this is kind of the guy that's trying to keep everybody calm and collected and, and focus on their mission. And just a side point here, uh, at the celebration panel, his fellow cast and crewmates often referred to him as both a legend and a genius. So high praise for Diego Luna. I look forward to seeing his character here. Now also in the celebration reel, we see Donnie Yen standing stoically as raging fires burn behind him. And we now know that he is playing a character named Chirrut Imwe. Previously, we had already known that he is blind, and despite this, he is a gifted fighter. We saw a little bit of that fighting in the first teaser. And people have questioned whether or not he is a Force-sensitive character. And it's kind of murky, but it's come out that he doesn't have Force powers per se. Uh, however, he is a, a firm believer in the Force. He believes that, you know, like the Jedi do, that all beings are connected through it. But he is skilled through his training, and he has a certain reverence or fascination when it comes to the force yeah there there have been characters uh maybe not in the movies but in the expanded universe that are force attuned or force sensitive you know in force awakens we met maz kanata and she's not a jedi but she seems to understand the force pretty well so i don't have any doubt that the force comes into play a little bit with his skills and fighting with being blind. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because I'm pretty sure all the times we see him, it's on that other planet, the desert planet. And when you link that together with what we've learned about what that planet is, it's interesting to see if he's there for a reason. Yeah, so, well, let's get right into that. We, we now know that that planet is called Jeddah, J-E-D-H-A. And uh, really, it serves as a kind of a, a, a tribute to the Jedi. And, you know, it's a, a place that uh, Gareth Edwards has described that all the, the Jedi have to visit once in their life. I came across information where they said it's a place where people pay homage to the Jedi. It's not necessarily a place where they can, like, go to train to become one or anything. But it's just somewhere that, like you said, it's a tribute to them. You know, it's, it's a place where people go to maybe learn about the Force or whatnot. So it, it's interesting that every time we've seen his character, well, almost every time, there are a couple of shots of him on that tropical planet. But a lot of the fight scenes and stuff are on that desert planet that we believe is Jeddah. Yeah. So I wonder if maybe that's where they find him and recruit him to, to 
to join in this mission. Yeah, it's been said that it's now occupied by the Empire, and that kind of draws him out and basically, you know, to this this team of rebels. And we've definitely seen Jin and uh, Cassian on this planet. So uh, this, like you said, this might be the, the point in which he joins up or, you know, brings him into our story. Now we also, in the celebration reel now, see Felicity Jones in dark clothing inside of the unlit halls of a ship or a base. Uh, this is possibly tied to that final scene of the first teaser trailer, where we see her character Jin Urso in the black Imperial uniform. In you know, that first teaser trailer, it pretty much gave us our basic info already about Jin Urso. We know that uh, she grew up as the space version of a juvenile delinquent, and that she's commissioned by Mon Mothma and the Rebel Alliance for this dangerous Death Star mission. Uh, at the celebration panel, uh, Felicity Jones said, Jin Urso is a role model. She has incredible courage, is fiercely independent and defiant. She's someone who can be tough when she needs to be, but there's a huge humanity to her. She's someone who turns out to be someone who can lead. She's an absolute leader. Now, just as there were the rumors that, oh, could, uh, you know, the Cassian Andor character be Poe Dameron's father? Uh, there were also rumors right after that first teaser trailer came out that uh, maybe Jin Urso is Rey's mother? And uh, addressing this, uh, Felicity Jones said, uh, in the words of Daisy Ridley, just because they have the same hair color doesn't mean that they're related. Yes, and I'm grateful for that. That's a relief, yes. You know, we, we don't need any more of those, oh, Darth Vader built C-3PO type moments. No. <laughs> I mean, obviously, this galaxy has been made small for us as viewers, but it doesn't need to be that small. And R2-D2 used to be in service of uh, Luke and Leia's mother <laughs> on Naboo. Uh, yeah, we don't need to get into that. So we next get some scenes of Rogue One director Gareth Edwards on set, saying that this is like a fantasy you always have as a kid, and that everywhere is an amazing shot with amazing characters. And so, you know, Gareth Edwards, we've been hearing a lot about him being a big Star Wars fan for his entire life, so you can see just why, even despite the reported maybe disagreements here and there, I mean, this has got to be a dream come true for the guy. Yeah, I believe in one point in the trailer he said that this movie is like right up against touching his favorite movie of all time, which would be A New Hope. Mm. Yeah, that's a, it's almost a scary thought, too. Well, it's nice to see, you know, we as Star Wars fans have always thought about and kind of fantasized, like, if I, if I made a movie, you know, or if I was in charge, what would I have done differently, or what would I come up with? And so it's neat to put it in the hands of, of fans that obviously have, an incredible talent for directing, but as we mentioned before, the the danger in in trying to have all these different individuals involved in these movies is that they all have their own little way of doing things and different tones and whatnot, and you're trying to form a cohesive universe. Yeah. So that's one of the things they're probably addressing with the reshoots, but hopefully, you know, I'm hoping have as much humor as Force Awakens did. I was a little disappointed in that. The, the original trilogy had its funny moments when Yoda showed up, when Luke was on Dagobah, and, and the, the banter between C-3PO and R2-D2, but it was a lot more pronounced in Force Awakens. And it's not a comedy, you know, it's right. a space opera, it's a, a fantasy movie. So... While I, I welcome some humor in this, and I think, I'm sure we'll talk about him later, but I'm sure the, the droid that is played by Alan Tudyk, I'm sure he'll provide some comic relief in this, but I'm hoping that's about the extent of it for this movie. Yeah, and it certainly seems that way. But like you said, yeah, it, you know, it's kind of like one of those things you, you always wonder what you what could be like you know if i was in charge and, and fortunately not only is it in the hands of a star wars fan it's in the hands of a, of a pretty capable star wars fan and, and speaking at the celebration panel gareth edwards mentions that he owes really his whole career to george lucas and he praised him for really pushing the technology of filmmaking forward adding that quote he's inspired a whole generation to make film and gave them the tools to go make them 
There's no one like him in cinema. He's very underrated in terms of what he's given to cinema. And that's true. You know, we we often kind of uh, make fun of George Lucas for the, that prequel trilogy. And, you know, obviously that is kind of a blemish on, you know, a great career. But really, a lot of his uh, behind-the-scenes work and working with the technology and ILM and everything, it's just amazing what he has done for the medium itself. Another thing that Gareth said in this celebration reel was that if you're not doing anything new, if you're not bringing anything new to the table, then what's the point? And that was nice to hear because one of the other complaints that some had, and I I had a bit too, was that Force Awakens felt more like a rehash of a couple of the other, you know, the original trilogy movies and a more of a reboot than like a continuation of the story. Mm-hmm. So for him to say, look, you know, we're doing new stuff, things we've never seen before. And from what we've seen so far, it definitely does look to be the case. So yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Me too. And also keep in mind, he's saying this and Disney is putting out this video. You know, they could have easily edited out something where he's like, hey, you know, what's the point of doing the same thing over and over again? Uh, Disney let this come out in that way. So, you know, that it shows that they're on board with kind of a, a tonal shift when it comes to this movie. So that that's also a positive sign. Mm-hmm. Now, next we see a silvery-looking droid walking and looking at the camera. And very obviously, this is a real person in a droid suit. And now, what did you make of this droid, Paul? Have we ever seen anything like this? I believe we have. I looked back through my Star Wars cards from my Decipher customizable card game and it really reminded me of the one droid we see in the jawa sandcrawler when r2 and 3po are captured okay and there's a droid that's active and looking around as r2 comes online and starts taking in his surroundings and it looked very much like that Hmm. Um, and i found card for it that droid was called RA-7, and it says the RA line of servant droids has fifth-degree primary programming, low intelligence with capabilities for menial labor only, common among nobles and high-ranking officials. Now, the interesting thing about it is I found another RA-7 droid in the, the card set. This was a light side card. There was a dark side card, and it was called 5D6. RA-7, and for that droid, it looked very much the same, maybe just a little different coloring, a little more silver, where the other one was maybe, uh, it was silver too, but looked a little more beat up being in the same color. Mm -hmm. But uh, the other one, it said that it was on Admiral Mati's crew, and it was actually a spy for the ISB, which I believe is the Imperial Security Bureau, and it investigates Imperials to see if they're actually loyal to the Empire or not. Okay. So I I definitely think that this may be in that same line of, like, RA droids because of, I believe, the setting we saw it in looked kind of like an Imperial base or something. So I'm thinking it might be an Imperial droid. Yeah, definitely. And with what you've just read there from the description in the card, you can definitely see it being in the crew of some sort of Imperial official or something. So, yeah, quite plausible. And, you know, gives us another hint that uh, a lot of practical effects are being used. Uh, These aren't these little CGI guys running around. No, thank goodness. (laughs) And speaking of which, we next see the crew, including Gareth Edwards, attending to a a Mon Calamari character. Almost looks like a a portlier version of Admiral Akbar, but his head is... um, Kind of like darker blue or gray rather than that copper-colored brown that we've seen from, from aliens of this race? Yeah, I didn't even make the connection of what, what race he could be, if that's what he was or not. That's just my guess. I'm just guessing from the head shape. Looks like a you yeah. know, that, that fish look. Mm-hmm. But that's cool. Now, from here, we also see uh, the actor Zhang Wen in full makeup and costume. He, of course, has is the guy with the long hair and the armor with the red chest plate. We saw him in the original first teaser, and little was known about him. Uh, we saw that he was fighting on the Rebel Alliance's side, firing a gun. And in our previous episode about Rogue One, Hamish brought out that he had heard that he'll be the weapons expert of the team. But uh, we now know that he is a character named Baze Malbus. 
He's a former freelance assassin whose homeworld has been occupied by Imperial forces. And his main weapon is a heavy repeater cannon, and he is skilled at firing it. So that's, uh, you know, pretty much true, that he'll be uh, a guy with uh, a lot of weapons know-how. Gotta have one of those on your team. I guess. Now, we also have learned that Baze Malbus is good friends with Cherit Imwe, despite the fact that they have very different personalities. Uh, Baze has been described as having a bravado that's in stark contrast to Cherit Imwe's monk-like demeanor and what's been described as a spiritual centeredness. It's also been reported that Baze will serve kind of as a foil for Cherit Imwe, so this might be another place where we could expect some humorous moments, you know, here and there. You know, not that, you know, one's gonna drop banana peels for the other to fall on every five seconds, but, you know, there might be some funny moments where the two have different personalities, but are are good friends. Yeah. Now, at the celebration panel, uh, Zhang Wen isn't fluent in English, and uh, he reportedly kept describing his character by saying, he has a gun. He has a huge gun. Now, another thing about him is that he accidentally let a huge spoiler slip about the movie. And don't worry, we're not going to mention it. We're not going to reveal that here. But it's out there, and you can find it online if you want. But, you know, it, it was an accident. They kind of said, okay, okay, don't, you know, don't say any more. And uh, we're not going to talk about it. Because why get your plot from podcasts and stuff you read online, rather than watch it in the movie? Yeah, I want to learn all this stuff in five months. Exactly. In the theater. <laughs> so next in the celebration reel, we see a, a familiar face, Warwick Davis. And he says, quote, it's about the humanity of it which just makes the thing so real. Now, we know that Warwick Davis is playing a creature named Bistan. Uh, he previously, of course, played Wicket the Ewok in Return of the Jedi. Yeah, I, I'm not sure, but I mean, I, I know he appeared in Phantom Menace. He also appeared with no mask on or anything. I think he was amongst the individuals taking in the pod race with Jabba. Oh, that's right. You're right, yeah. I'm not sure about episodes two or three, but I, I do know he was involved also in The Force Awakens. Yeah, so he's definitely somebody that's, you know, a veteran of these movies, so it's it's great, again, to see him here. Yeah, he plays one of Anakin's friends. Uh, he's uh, one of uh, Greedo's race of aliens. I can't remember uh, what his name is, though. I think he was just a teenager when he got the part to play Wicket, and that was his first acting role, I believe. Yeah, a great long career, and uh, especially when it comes to these Star Wars movies. And, and now, we, we see a furry creature later on manning a gun turret. Is that Bistan? I'm not sure. I feel like I did come across the name of that creature, and that kind of rings a bell, but I'm not 100% sure. But I think the one review or whatever I was watching that, that mentioned that character, they called him a rocket raccoon of sorts. Okay, so that, that most likely was him then. There, you definitely get the rocket raccoon vibe off of that guy. Now, next in the reel, we get a couple more quick scenes. We see Diego Luna on set with, I think that was Kathleen Kennedy. Uh, we also get a scene with Jin Urso handing what looks like to be food or a small canister to a child or small person. And uh, in the background behind them, you can see where the road where they were filming is blocked off with the blue screen. And you can see, like, the signs of some sort of business peeking off to the side. So this is a, a real city street. You know, these are real sets. And that's, ni- that's nice to see. And I had read about that, too, where a lot of the sets were you know, 360 degrees. So they're fully immersive. And as Gareth Edwards mentions earlier in this celebration reel, you know, anywhere you film from is a, just an amazing shot. We next get a moment where there's a call for action on an explosion. And this is a real explosion. Just like, you know, we saw in Force Awakens when they were releasing some behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, fortunately, once again, as I mentioned, practical effects... They're being emphasized here. And uh, we also see those vehicles with the stormtroopers rolling across the set. We saw those in the teaser. So, you know, I mean, they could so easily try to replicate this on the computer for, a, you know, a cheaper cost. But they are really going all out with the practical effects here. And, and it'll really translate on the screen, I think. Yeah, we think, like, we tend to think that way. I know I used to as well. Like, oh, it's cheaper to just, you know, design all this on a computer and stuff. But... When you factor in all the man hours it takes to create some of this stuff and then change it for each shot or whatever, it it actually might work out to be cheaper just to make something that (laughs) looks that way that actually can move and manipulate. 
my top complaints was how they used CG on everything, and it just looked all so fake. And yeah. it wasn't cartoonish, but it bordered on that. Like, you, it just took you out of the movie because everything looked so fake and not like real locations. Whereas Force Awakens, everything looked real, and I'm sure this one will too. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, you can't get realer than real, so yeah, might as well. If you're going to spend the money either way, just go for the real thing. And uh, we see a scene of uh, Cassian Andor and Jyn Erso on presumably Jedha. They're taking cover during an explosion. And Felicity Jones is speaking, saying, Your heart's beating and you're actually in this situation. You get something very genuine that you couldn't have planned. And also we, we hear a crew member say, uh, You'll actually compose shots that if we were on a green screen set, you just wouldn't have known were available. And so, yeah, you know, just uh, like we're talking about, real sets... Real explosions, I mean, in one scene you even see, like, debris fall down on them from the explosion. You know, it's uh, it really will translate well, and it, it will look real because it is real. Right. We also get a scene of a crowd of troopers moving around the Imperial base, then behind the scenes at the Rebel base, including a shot of Genevieve O'Reilly, who, of course, is playing Mon Mothma in this. Oh, and, you know, that, that scene that we saw in the, the trailer... Uh, the first teaser trailer where all the troopers are running in that Imperial base. You know, we see the, the long corridors, the gray hallways. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is a real set too. That's actually shot in the London underground at a subway station. And the art department kind of took some liberties with, uh, you know, redesigning some things. But that's that's why it looks so amazing and so real where they're running down this long corridor. Uh, th- that's not a green screen tunnel. I mean, that's really the London underground. So, yeah, it just looks so amazing. And uh, we also get a look here of uh, Ben Mendelsohn's character walking towards a large screen. And th- this is kind of in the same spot that we saw in the teaser trailer. We assume that this is inside of the Death Star or some sort of Imperial ship. Uh, we now know that this character is named Director Orson Krennic. He's an Imperial Director of Advanced Weapons Research. He's been described as a cruel, brilliant man obsessed with seeing out this project of creating the Death Star, and it's also been said that he has staked his entire reputation on getting this project finished for Emperor Palpatine. Yeah, I thought that was really neat how it looked like he was on a ship in space looking out a window on a planet, and it looked like that window was a huge, like, high-definition screen Mm. that they had an image up on, you know, of that planet, and I thought that was a a really neat way of handling that instead of just making it a blue screen or a green screen and then throwing that image in later because if you have the image there then when they're shooting the lighting will be better you know you might get shadow effects or whatever on the characters that you otherwise wouldn't have i thought the same thing i think it's just a little bit later in the trailer when we see this thing moving i can only imagine that the actors are inside of it and it's like a spacecraft oh yeah and and that's moving you're on the outside seeing it move around and in front of it is this huge screen and it's showing that this ship is flying over that tropical planet and there's explosions and i just thought that was really cool again instead of just like using blue screen or green screen and then later digitally adding what they're seeing out of their cockpit to actually have that up on a huge screen for the actors to see and react to right away. You and I kind of always mention that scene where uh, Ewan McGregor's on Camino talking to a, a tennis ball on a pole, you know, and even though he's a great actor and probably one of the highlights of that prequel trilogy, it's just, it's hard for them to act against nothing. And, and that really helps, you know? And that scene, yeah, that's great. Just this big kind of box up on hydraulic lifts moving with this giant wraparound screen. That's so great to see. Yeah, and I saw some other videos of some of the stuff that happened at Star Wars Celebration in London. One of the cool things I thought was when Ben Mendelsohn came out in his imperial uniform with the cape and everything that we've seen from the trailers. Mm. And he was being uh, escorted by, I think there were four of those black stormtroopers. I think they're called death troopers. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was very much a character, like, marching up on stage, standing there, receiving everyone's applause. And (laughs) and the troopers are 
Yeah, that's great. Just having fun with that. And you know, just that looks so great, that costume. Uh, in, in that celebration panel, uh, speaking about his character, uh, Ben Mendelsohn said that uh, Krennic is a different kind of villain, adding that he's tasked with a very special project and he delivers it par excellence. So uh, he, people were asking about, you know, does he have scenes with Darth Vader? And he would only kind of just mumble and I don't know. So he's very tight-lipped about that, unfortunately. Now here in the trailer, uh, the music actually changes and it, it kind of gets a little fast-paced. Right, and I found out that the song that is used in this trailer is called The Origin of Species, and it's by a band or musical group called Audio Machine. I wasn't able to look into them too much if that's all they specialize in, like I know of other groups that they just come up with all this epic music, you know, have a full orchestra and have a choir and put together all these tracks that are used in movie trailers and things like that, or if they're actually going to be involved in the music for this movie, because as we know, this is going to be the first Star Wars movie that doesn't have John Williams composing. Mm, so yeah. I'm not sure about that, but that is the name of that song from the celebration reel is uh, The Origin of Species by Audio Machine. And it definitely fits here. You know, it's we can see where the music is getting really fast, and the reel now starts to have some really quick scenes. We see a lot of quick cuts. Uh, one of the things, uh, as we just talked about, that large box on hydraulic lifts, you know, simulating a ship. We see Gareth Edwards basically down in the trenches of war, you know, filming scenes with goggles on. Uh, so he's getting right in there with the cameras, which is also a good thing to see. Uh, one thing we do see is a, a slow motion look. Uh, it's kind of the same scene we saw in the trailer, but from a different angle. It, it's Jin Erso and Cassian Andor fleeing that base on Scarif as explosions are throwing sand and people all around them. And in Jin's left hand, we see a small black case, which I guess we can assume are the stolen plans, the data tapes. Yeah, I think this is probably very closely related to what we saw in the first trailer with the AT-AT prototypes. Yeah. Because in that scene, there was also all these explosions around them, and she had what looked to be the plans in one hand and a blaster in the other. So I'm thinking it might be closely related to that. We also see a camera being quickly rolled down a track, you know, more filming. Uh, we see Donnie Yen as Chirrut Imwe practicing, taking out a stormtrooper with his staff. Uh, we get Felicity Jones on set getting some direction for a scene on Jeddah, which... Looks like the, that scene we saw earlier in the first teaser with a city street or a marketplace, and she raises a weapon. Uh, we also see Cassie and Andor and other rebels fighting on those beautiful beaches uh, on Scarif, and they're, they're huddled behind mounds of sand. So we're going to see some beach warfare here. Yeah, and I'm really excited about that. As I was watching the reel earlier tonight, I was thinking about how the first Star Wars movie I ever saw was The Empire Strikes Back. And one of my favorite scenes in it when I was young, and even to this day really, is the Battle of Hoth. Mm -hmm. When all the rebel troopers are like getting ready for it, and they're getting down in the trenches, and then they're shooting at the AT-ATs and stuff. I really like that whole scene. And other than that, the Star Wars trilogy, the original trilogy, doesn't have a whole lot of ground warfare. I mean, there is the battle on Endor, <laughs> but you can't really take that seriously when there's a bunch of teddy bears destroying <laughs> stormtroopers, you know? Yes. It's just not the same. So I'm really looking forward to seeing this, like, gritty warfare between stormtroopers and rebels. And it seems like from some of the things that guys are yelling out for actors to respond to and stuff. It sounded like they were talking about, like, X-wings and Y-wings flying overhead. So it sounds like they're going to have some air support helping them out, too. So I really look forward to seeing all of this and, and how it's going to turn out because it seems like it's going to be really cool. Yeah, definitely. Now, the, uh, the cuts get a little quicker now in the reel, and we also see a little furry white creature. Did you notice that? Yeah, is that the one with, like, the metal mask over his mouth? I think so. It almost looks like a little wampa. Yeah, I, 
I saw that and I was like, oh, that looks so familiar. I couldn't put my finger on where I'd seen something like that before, whether it was in one of the animated Star Wars, you know, like Clone Wars or something. Yeah. I'm not sure, but it looked very familiar to me, that alien species. Uh, We also see a young girl with a backpack jumping around a black rocky terrain. And that ties into the the trailer we'll talk about a little later, so we'll we'll get back to that. Uh, Next, matching the beat of the music, we get close-up shots of many characters' faces. A very diverse crowd. We see all kinds of uh, people with helmets and masks and makeup, face coverings, all very unique. And a lot of people and looks that we haven't seen in the Star Wars universe. Yeah, and I think most of them probably won't even have major roles in it. I think they might just be, you know, extras, really, just to show the diversity of some of these planets and just might be kind of extras in, in the backgrounds or whatever. But nonetheless, I mean, they're they're making awesome costumes for these characters, and some of them look really cool. Yeah, once again, great art direction, great costume design, great look to these people. Uh, we next see Jin crawling in the rain towards the cameras. Uh, we also get uh, soldiers traversing Scarif's jungle landscape. And uh, another look at uh, Chirrut Imwe fighting stormtroopers with his staff. Uh, a few seconds later, we see him take out a stormtrooper with his hands. Even though he's blind, he can still uh, take out stormtroopers quite easily. Yeah, he like karate chops him on the side of the helmet or something. Yeah. And uh, we also hear Edwards say, this is where a film crew like this really comes into their own. And as he says this, we get a couple more behind-the-scenes looks, including Jin jumping from a platform in the rain with a large blue screen behind her. Uh, we also see uh, two different kinds of stormtroopers in battle on the beach. Uh, we see the, those standard white troopers that, you know, we know and love. And uh, we also see these beige, sandy-colored shore troopers, as they're now known. And uh, it was revealed that they will be played in the movie by members of the Maldives National Defense Force. Yeah, real soldiers. So, uh, you know, these are guys that, that know how to fight and, you know, they know their maneuvers. But I, I just like the the look of these shore troopers. And, you know, as we've seen throughout all the movies, the, there's different costumes for the troopers depending on their terrain. And so it makes sense. The shore troopers would have sand-colored armor. Yeah, and we also saw another glimpse in this of the uh, tank trooper as well. Yeah. They have a different looking mask. They're white, but kind of like a, an off-white. And we continue with a couple of quick cuts. We see uh, Jin and Baze Malbus fighting some different troopers. And uh, talking about these fighting scenes at Disney Celebration Europe, uh, Felicity Jones said, quote, The action sequences were a challenge, but something I love doing. I haven't done a lot of that before. I was religiously practicing hitting stormtroopers with a short stick for six months. It was hard work, but great fun. Yeah, I'm not... Other than the, the theory of everything, I'm not too familiar with her past work, so I don't I definitely don't think <laughs> she's ever had a role that's physically demanding before. Yeah, not a lot of fighting in that movie. <laughs> and uh, from here we get really my favorite image of this whole thing. Uh, we see four white stormtroopers holding their blasters as they wade through those crystal blue waters. Yeah, that was a cool shot, and... I saw some boats in the background, and I was wondering, like, is that going to be part of the movie, or is that just, like, you know, people that are in the background that they're going to have to uh, edit out or, or clear the set before they actually shoot this? Yeah, I noticed that, too. I wonder if that was crew or something, and they were just kind of just getting a production shot for the fans or something. Yeah. And uh, Gareth Edwards continues here saying that, you know, that kid when you were four years old grew up with Star Wars figures, it's a bit like being that kid again. And it really is, you know, you and I both have had, probably still have, all of the Star Wars figures we grew up with. And, you know, it's just like a real-life version of playing with them. You can put these people wherever you want, make them do whatever you want, and yeah, it's got to be an exciting prospect. And so we next get a scene on a flying ship where Edwards is directing a small furry creature that's laughing as he mans a gun turret. And, uh, you know, as we talked about earlier, we, we can presume this is Bistan, played by Warwick Davis. Mm-hmm. What'd you think of this character? I thought he was pretty cool. You have to assume he's on the rebel side because the Empire does not care for alien races. They're all humanoids, you know, that work for the Empire. Yeah. So you gotta imagine that he's providing some of that air support, you know, shooting down on on troopers. I 
and it looked pretty neat. Yeah, and it, it's amazing that this character's all practical, but he really looks like he could be CGI, and just the face moves and emotes so well. Very impressive. Mm-hmm. Now from here we get more real explosions in front of a blue screen, and then a very, very quick look at Alan Tudyk in what looks to be some sort of bodysuit for, I'm guessing, either the motion capture process or camera tests. And now, just speaking about him, we know that Alan Tudyk is playing a droid named K2SO. He's an Imperial Enforcer droid that was reprogrammed by Cassian Andor to assist the Rebels. And that celebration, when Alan was there and talking about his character, I believe they actually showed a little clip of his character along with Cassian and Jin. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know if they actually were letting people hear the audio of it or they just had it up on screen, muted. But uh, you saw Jin, like, hand hand the droid her pack to carry for, and he just kind of, like, drops it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why I said I think he might provide some of the comic relief in this movie. Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, Alan Tudyk is a great actor and uh, very humorous. So, yeah, you could definitely see where he would be perfect for this. Uh, at the celebration panel, uh, he was talking about his character's relationship with Cassian Andor. He said, quote, I like Cassian very much. He's my father in a lot of ways. Because K2SO was formerly with the Empire, and then Cassian reprogrammed him. Who was he when he was with the Empire? The other K2s in the movie who are still with the Empire are all very rigid. Cassian freed him into his own being in person. He loves Cassian. He's pretty casual. And uh, also talking about the uh, the comic relief aspect of the character, he said, quote, There's always some comic relief in these movies. C-3PO has that. They say that he and R2-D2 are like Laurel and Hardy. The droids have a history of being funny. So yeah, most likely <laughs> he will uh, provide uh, some comic relief, but hopefully not too much where he's just this crazy slapstick character. Right. Uh, we also get another look at director Orson Krennic, ruining his clean white suit, walking through the water on Scarif. Uh, kind of that, that shot we saw in the teaser, but from uh, another angle. We also get a look at those black armored death troopers that we also first saw in the first teaser. And now we know that they are n- not just a, a special class of trooper, but even more specifically, they are Krennic's personal squad of soldiers. So these guys are going to be like his bodyguards, pretty much. We see more of the Rebel team fighting on Jetta. Uh, then a hand, maybe Gareth Edwards' hand, we don't know, pressing a button, which detonates a huge explosion on the Maldives set. Uh, we also see more character action, including an X-Wing pilot in blue. Did you notice that? I did. And, now, is that something we've seen before? Yeah, usually their jumpsuits are orange. So maybe this is a special class of pilot or something? We'll have to see. Yeah, and we also see some more Rebel and Imperial hand-to-hand combat. And then the reel cuts to black here. The music fades out, and we cut to Jin Urso standing aboard a ship with the large door of the ship behind her open. And facing the camera, she addresses the Rebel, saying dryly with a half-smile, May the Force be with us. So from here, the reel cuts to the title, Rogue One, a Star Wars story, accompanied with you know, you can hear that slower version of the song from the ending scene of A New Hope. I believe that's that's the, called The Throne Room. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, again, a, you know, nice nod to the original trilogy and the, the beautiful work of John Williams. We, we, we've been hearing that a lot in these pieces that Disney has been releasing. A couple of the scenes, I was trying to go, like, almost frame by frame toward the end of that reel when they were showing stuff really fast. Yeah. And uh, in one scene, you see... It looks like two Imperial officers fighting with two stormtroopers. And you see, like, one, I say Imperial officer because, like, you got the black uniform, black cap on, and you see him, like, throwing a stormtrooper up against a wall or, like, pushing them up against a wall. It almost looked like when there was that part earlier in the reel where they were showing all those faces of the different characters and most of them were just masked. One of the characters they showed was a man in an imperial outfit with a black cap on and a mustache. Mm -hmm. And it really looked like that was the character that was fighting with the stormtrooper. And then you see another clip of what looks to be the same fight going on, and you you can see the other character better that's also fighting with the stormtrooper. And that one looked like it could be Jin Urso when she's 
dressed up like an Imperial, like we see her at the end of the first trailer. Mm -hmm. Because it looks like she has like a baton or something sticking out from her back. And when you see this fight happening, I saw that. But she was like wearing a helmet at the time. So I don't know if she's disguised to be a TIE fighter pilot or what, because it looked like that kind of helmet and mm-hmm. an outfit kind of. But I'm wondering if, you know, she and another character disguise themselves as Imperials to infiltrate the base and they're fighting some stormtroopers in there. And that's what that was a scene from. Interesting. Yeah, because we, we always think of this as kind of like an undercover mission. But yeah, maybe they have some people on the inside working for them as well. Now that ends the celebration reel, but there are some elements that are are notably absent from this reel or are not featured prominently. Uh, One thing that we didn't really get a look at was the character played by Academy Award winner Forrest Whitaker. I think you mentioned we may have seen a, a split second of him. Yeah, I think I saw a side view of him in a shot with Jyn Erso. And she's like looking up at him and that's located right around the time where they have that shot of the uh, white stormtroopers wading through that crystal blue water. Okay. Well, uh, we really didn't know much about this character, but uh, recently the word has come out that Forrest Whitaker is playing a character named Saw Gerrera. He is uh, actually a character from the Clone Wars series. Uh, that was also mentioned in a few other places. I guess he, they mention him on Star Wars Rebels and in the book Star Wars Bloodlines. And uh, th- this is the Saw Gerrera bio as it appears on StarWars.com. It says, quote, Saw Gerrera was a loyal follower of King Ramses Dendup, the benevolent monarch of Onderon, who attempted to keep his world apart from the tensions of the Clone Wars. Saw believed firmly in independence and did not want to see his planet thrust into galactic warfare. But Dendup was ousted by King Sanjay Rash, who committed the world to the Separatist cause. Saw was one of the fervent young loyalists who refused to acknowledge Rash's rule and openly rebelled against the crown. He and his sister Stila were cast out of the walled city of Aziz and forced to live in ruins amid the jungles of Onderon, but formed a rebellion. End quote. So... Uh, th- you know, this is uh, interesting that we're seeing a character from that Clone Wars cartoon. I, you know, it's canon, so uh, why not? Yeah, it's nice that they're trying to tie everything together like that. I just don't want them to take things too far and, you know, as we discussed before, big leaps and bounds in order to, to tie the universe all together. But it does make sense that characters in, in one series might make an appearance in another one if the... Uh, chronology is right yeah and, and i don't mind this you know especially a, a side character you know somebody that appeared in and maybe a small arc on the series and they bring him in just enough to let you know that this is all kind of connected uh, kind of like how in force awakens they didn't hit us over the head with it uh we just got those banners that flew on uh, maz Kanata's castle which linked that that film to the Phantom Menace and other symbols that we saw uh, connecting towards groups in Star Wars Rebels and the Clone Wars cartoon. So, yeah, uh, really nicely done, I, I would say. And, and this is a, a great character. Uh, talking about Saw Gerrera at the Celebration panel, Forrest Whitaker gives us a little more insight. Uh, he says, He has a duality about him. He's a freedom fighter, but he's made the decision to stop the Empire. He will do that by any means possible. As a result, a lot of the other rebel fighters think he's too extreme. He's impassioned and war-torn. He's beat down by war, but continues to go forward. So you can see why he's probably one of the few characters from, you know, way back around the time of the prequels to be around at this point. Very, very tough. And, you know, we, we weren't sure if he's going to mentor Jin or what his role exactly is, but, you know, he's... Much like Jin, as if you watch that Clone War series, uh, he's somebody that has rebelled his entire life. So an interesting parallel between those two characters. Right. Now another person we didn't see was the character played by Mads Mikkelsen. Uh, we now know that he is playing Galen Erso, who is Jin's father. And re- really not much is being said about his role, other than what Mikkelsen himself said at the panel. He said, quote, he's a person of interest. He's a scientist who has invented something so beautiful and fantastic that it'll change the world. So, kind of uh, cryptic and interesting. What, what do you make of that, Paul? Yeah, I believe he's uh, 
scientist or inventor of some sort, and he's taken by the Empire to help them design and construct the Death Star. Yeah, and we kind of heard rumors of that, that that's, he's probably going to be Jin's father and he's going to be working for the Empire, but we didn't really quite get the whole premise that he would be somebody that maybe made something good that would be exploited for evil and he would be kind of taken by the Empire. So we really don't know where he stands, good or evil, at this point. But, uh, you know, you wonder what he created and, and if it has anything to do with that back-to-tank scene. Do you remember that in the first teaser? We really didn't get any more clarity on that. Yeah, I mean, the main strength of the Death Star is obviously the planet-destroying laser on it. So my mind immediately went to that, that he had a hand in creating that. Then the question is, well, how could that be used for a beautiful purpose, you know? Mm. That, that they could then twist it and be like, wait a second, this could destroy a planet. So Maybe he was uh, going to sync it up with Pink Floyd at the planetarium. <laughs> yeah. Very interesting. Now, there's another character that's in Rogue One that's not in the first teaser nor the celebration reel, but he appears at the end of the second teaser. So let's get right into that. Now, the fans present for the Star Wars celebration in London were fortunate enough to also see a new teaser trailer for Rogue One after this celebration reel. Now, only the fans present were supposed to see it, but some people did sneak video and uploaded it to various social media platforms. Now, Paul and I were fortunate enough to catch a glimpse of it while it was up. And uh, while it was very blurry, and it, we noticed that it was cut with a lot of scenes from the first teaser. So it didn't give us too much, uh, but it did give us a couple of new big things. Like the one we saw first. The person was obviously trying to hide their camera because, like, their arm was covering half the screen for the first <laughs> part of the trailer. It, it never really focused on the screen. But the other two I just saw tonight could see the whole screen in the entirety of the trailer. Um, one was much further back away from the screen, and one was pretty close. Yeah. So those were a lot better. They're all still blurry. You can hear the voiceovers. Well, Jin Erso is doing all the speaking in the trailers, but there are, like you said, a couple notable scenes in them. Yeah, one new thing that we see in the beginning of this trailer is uh, Jin Erso is uh, addressing the, the team saying, with each passing second, we grow weaker while they grow stronger. So just emphasizing the, you know, the dangerousness of this mission and uh, the odds that are really stacked against them. Yeah, and I believe the very first scene of this trailer was again that little girl running yeah let's get into that scene so what have you heard about that well like we mentioned in the celebration reel there was this really quick clip of a girl like jumping from a rock or something and then in this we see a girl running and then right afterward we see felicity jones as Jen so running so i really think that this is a young Jin Erso, and I believe when you see the girl running, they said that it was hard to see on the blurry trailer, but they say that an Imperial ship flies overhead, so I really think this may be when they take her father. Ah, okay. Uh, when the Empire takes him to, to work on the Death Star or work on whatever he's doing for them, being, you know, forced to do this for them, and that's obviously when she's left on her own to fend for herself, as she talked about in the first trailer. Yeah, that makes perfect sense, too. Now, we get a lot of action, and like I said, some of it we had seen already, some of it new, all of it blurry, and we'll get this trailer eventually, you know, th this will be released soon. But uh, one big thing was a big reveal at the end, so let let's talk about this, Paul. Yeah, it was really, really hard to tell what like, all I saw on the screen was a bunch of red, and it was described as possibly, like, a map of a planet, perhaps, or maybe plans of something. But it was all in red, and then you could see, like, the shadow of a figure that was very familiar-shaped, <laughs> and then you hear that all-familiar... <laughs> And, the, and then the crowd just went wild. They erupted, yeah. So that was all they teased about Vader being in this movie. But we knew that he was supposed to play a role, and we had heard, you know, that J. 
Yeah, we, we had hoped, and uh, this is finally confirmation, not only confirmation that Vader will be in it, but like you said, James Earl Jones reprising his role, which, you know, of course he has to. This will actually be James Earl Jones's fifth Star Wars film. Of course, thanks to the no in episode three, if you want to count that. I'm very curious how I'm going to feel about Vader in this movie because, you know, Vader was a cool bad guy in the original trilogy. And then when the prequels came out and you saw his origin and you're picturing Hayden Christensen in that costume, yeah, you know, all burned up by the lava and whatever, and, and yelling no as he finds out that he killed his wife. It just kind of ruined Darth Vader a little bit for me. So oh, yeah, yeah. We'll see. We'll see when I'm like at the theater seeing him on screen again. What my feelings will be about his character. Oh, search your feelings. <laughs> if he's going to be cool again, or if I'm just going to have like those flashbacks of Episode Three. No, no, no. I, I think they're r- really working hard for an image rehabilitation here. And of course, the end of Jedi didn't help his image either. You know, he took his helmet off and, you know, he's a, a pale old bald man playing the harmonica. You know, it's just, uh, it didn't did not help, <laughs> you know, going back to the first two and going, oh, okay, well, that's who was in there the whole time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is, this is classic Vader. This is going to be the Vader leading up to A New Hope. This is going to be the guy that uh, we know and love. But it was said at the panel... Uh, I think a producer even said, fans should not expect a lot of Darth Vader screen time. Because, you know, you can imagine Rogue One is kind of on the periphery of the main franchise, so Vader will be kind of on the periphery of the story. But we will see him, and that's that's a great thing. Yeah, I mean, you have to imagine that if Vader was really involved in the action of this movie, that they wouldn't have been successful in stealing the Death Star plans. Yeah. You know? with his powers and abilities and everything. So I don't expect to see much of him. No, but hopefully enough. In fact, uh, at the celebration panel, Gareth Edwards said, uh, I don't want to ruin anything, uh, but if it was just literally a scene where we just see Darth Vader, you'd be disappointed. There are some things here that you haven't seen before. So that's encouraging. So it's not just going to be this very brief cameo. He, He will be there. But don't expect him to be there every scene. Like you said, he's going to be too powerful to overtake this group and stop them. So, you know, he'll be he'll be around. It just reminds me of why they conveniently left Hulk and Thor out of Civil War. <laughs> those, those characters are too powerful. Yes. And they would easily have defeated the rest of the superheroes. Exactly. So he's, he's going to be somewhere else. And yeah, that's fine. One thing that was also revealed is uh, one of the words Darth Vader will say in this movie is the word power. Gareth Edwards was, uh, you know, quite overtaken with emotion when uh, James Earl Jones said that word in the recording booth. So that's uh, that's pretty funny. But yeah, that, that final scene, we see him standing there in front of Red. And like you said, it could be a map, it could be a plan. I was just thinking about uh, episode two. Attack of the Clones, when when they do kind of show you a, a quick reveal of those Death Star plans as a hologram, they are in that color red. So, you know, maybe that's just kind of tying together that th- those plans are red. I don't know. Right. But we'll see. But that, that does it for, uh, you know, what we were given. So what do you think, Paul, now, considering everything we just went over? I'm looking forward to it. Like I said, uh, when I first started hearing about it, I was like, eh, I don't know if, if this is something. I, obviously, I'm going to see it, but I don't know if I'm going to be doing the whole opening night thing for this like I did with Force Awakens. But as soon as I saw that first trailer, I was like, yeah, I will be. <laughs> and uh, everything I, I've seen since then just reaffirms that, that, you know, it's it's going to be a similar situation where I'll be counting down the last couple months, and as soon as tickets go on sale, I'll I'll get my group together and and be buying twenty of them probably, <laughs> and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. Uh, you know, this went from kind of a welcome distraction from the the long wait to episode eight to the next big thing we're focusing on. It just looks like a great Star Wars film, uh, maybe a little tonally different from the rest of the franchise, but really something we're, we want out of this. As a standalone movie, an anthology film, 
It's going to be its own thing, but still tied to everything else. A great companion piece to the rest of the movies that we love. So, yeah, definitely. I'm looking forward to it, too. I'm probably not going to buy half the theater like you, but, uh, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing it. I'm just hoping the sound system is completely working this time. Yeah, yeah, go to a different theater. All right, well, that'll pretty much do it for this episode of Hitting Play. As always, you can email us with your comments, suggestions, things we have missed, whatever you got for us at hittingplayshow at gmail.com, or you can talk to us on Twitter at Hitting Play. Now, Paul, do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, yeah, sure, I'll plug my Twitter. That is Megalomaniac. <laughs> That's Mega, M-E-G-A, Lomain, as in the Chinese food, and I-A-C at the end. Oh, very nice. I'm on Twitter as well. My name there is at MC and Friends. You can follow me there. I'm also on Vine. There I do flip page cartoons, little humorous animations, and you can uh, follow my stuff there. My name there is also at MC and Friends. If you listen to us on iTunes, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. It helps us out, and if you do, you will get a shout-out on the show. Uh, for Android users, we are also available to stream and or download on Stitcher. We can be found on TuneIn Radio as well as the Google Play Music app. So check us out there. And if you are a Roku user, you can set us as a favorite on the TuneIn Radio channel, and you can listen to us right there on your television. Well, we have been Paul and Scott, and this has been Hitting Play. Thank you so much for listening. May the Force be with you. <laughs>